Hi, listeners. Are you looking for some ways to improve your health? Maybe you're interested in a simple alcohol reset. I'm proud to share with you 0.0 Living. Many of my friends have wanted to do a 30-day alcohol-free challenge, but felt like they didn't have the tools, the support, and accountability. 0.0 Living gives you a simple reset to live more fully. So if you're ready to interrupt your patterns, live healthier and happier without ever feeling like you're missing out, join 0.0 Living's alcohol-free challenge. For more information, you can go to their website at 00living.com. Failing. 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 I know. We talk about failure. Some battles you feel like you lost. And survival. Some battles you feel like you win. It's tough. I had to make some tough decisions. We've all faced failure, but what steps do we take to launch ourselves into success? I'm Sarah Brown. There is life. A blessing. Achieve your dream. And then what we do with it. And this is Failing Forward. Listeners, I am so excited today. I have Dr. Sanjay, and wait for this one, Shave Akramani. Shave Akramani. I did it, Perfect. Sanjay. Perfect. Feels so good. Um, folks, Sanjay is, gosh, so many things. He's an emergency doc, so he's emergency physician and medical director at the emergency room at UC Health Westchester. And he's also the president of Revive Strength and Wellness. And he also has a fantastic uh, TED Talk that I uh, encourage everybody to listen to. It's called Who is the Asshole in the ER? And it's fantastic. And so welcome. Thank you very much for having me, Sarah. I'm really pumped that you're here today, contrary to our missed schedule last week. So thanks for taking the time. So, all right, let's let's just get right into it. Tell us a little bit about where you grew up, where you're from. Sure. So I was actually born in India, but uh, my, my family moved here when I was about two, but um, they moved to Boston. Um, I have an older sister. And so I grew up, my entire childhood was in Boston, at least a suburb of Boston. Um, I knew I wanted to be a doctor from when I was really young. And uh, I was lucky enough to get into the seven-year program at Boston University. So uh, out of high school, I was accepted into med school, essentially. Um, it was three oh years yeah, It was three years of undergrad and four years of med school. Um, so it was like a fast track through, but um, really cool experience, um, especially for those that knew they wanted to do medicine. Um, so wait, I, I want to go back even further than that. Okay, so your parents, I mean, and okay, like off the boat, could they speak English? Uh, yeah, so both of them, you know, could speak English off the bat. Um, they were pretty well educated in India. Um, and so, yeah, they, they could speak, but <laughs> bless her heart. Uh, my mom, you know, they didn't know the culture so well, but my mom tried to assimilate us into the culture as much as possible, which is, you know, one of the things I'm really grateful for too for her about because, you know, it was like Christmas. Um, she didn't, you know, Christmas wasn't a big thing in India, but she saw the trees going up and she put up trees. And, you know, we slowly, we, we started to do, you know, American celebrations and, you know, Easter was just, uh, we didn't know what was going on. There's candy all over the house and I was cool with it, but, you know, as far as the meaning behind it, we didn't know so much, but, um, you know, we, we, my, my parents totally learned the culture here. And then, you know, I was, they just wanted me to fit in and they wanted my sister to fit in, which was, you know, I, I give a lot of thanks to them for that. Um, cause there are a lot of people that just maintain their old cultural ways when they move to this country. And, and my parents were ready to just kind of like 
you know, we're Americans now. Uh, and that's what happened when they moved here. Have they kept any of the Indian traditions? Yeah, they've, they've kept most of them. In fact, you know, my, my parents are both practicing Hindus and um, they still celebrate the Indian ceremonies. They, they don't go back to the, <laughs> to the motherland so much anymore. Um, it's been a few years for them. It's been, in fact, uh, more than 10 years for me personally. Um, but they do still, you know, consider themselves, you know, the Indian culture is still a very big part of them and you know, nothing beats mom's cooking. So luckily she, <laughs> she didn't let that one go either. What about you? So do you practice Hinduism? As a kid, I did. Um, as far as religion for me right now, I consider myself a, a humanist. And I don't know if that's a, <laughs> I don't know if that's an official religion or not, but it's pretty much what I do is, uh, yeah, I, I've got my own. I never know the difference between humanist and uh, universalist. Sure, I guess I'm both. And I'm sure I, somebody... I... I know somebody on who's listening to this is going to correct us on what one or the other is, but I'd be curious to see as we get into your story, how that played a role in your really big transformation. So um, I'm really interested about that. Okay. So parents came here, Indian parents, immigrants realized you always wanted to be a doctor, pretty young age get into that program. Any doubts about that ever when you were in medical school or college? College, no. And and part of being in that seven-year program, I was surrounded by people that, or most of them, always wanted to be a doctor too. So we were all on that path together. So there were only 16 of us that started the seven-year program together at BU. Um, and so having them around me, you know, was that was my culture. And so I didn't ever really look back. Um, a few kids dropped out in the first year, three of them did. So there were only 13 of us that ended up graduating in that class um, at BU. So it was a pretty small class. Um, but, you know, having their support and we just kind of, we just went for it. So they, they're all super smart, smarter than me. Um, and everyone just kept, you know, kept on the track and kept going. So there were no doubts really during med school, um, you know, as far as doubting what I wanted to do. Doubting myself, there was plenty. Um, I think I failed my first anatomy practical just because I figured I could just learn it from the books uh, and I didn't really have to go to anatomy lab. Um, <laughs> that's the lazy part of me. Uh, <laughs> apparently, bodies are different. Who knew? And when you have to take a practical exam on different cadavers, you may not have any idea what you're talking about when you're just looking at a single book to try to understand. So, whoops. Um, so I thought maybe I wasn't so cut up for it, but I figured it out before long. So go through medical school, get out of medical school. Do you move to Cincinnati right then? Or when do you move here? No, so it, yeah, it was a little wandering route. So I chose after, at the end of medical school, you can kind of choose your specialty. Um, and I chose emergency medicine. Um, it was the specialty that scared me the most when I did it. Um, and I was like, I think I can do this, which is totally out of the norm for me. Cause you know, I always stuck to my comfort zones and looking back on it, I'm like, why that, that was a weird choice for me. Cause I remember sitting in the middle of the ER as a fourth year medical student, having no idea what was going on and like about to crap my pants because it was like a scary place. And I was like, this is kind of what I want to do. Um, I figured I'd never get bored of it, which is, you know, let's see, uh, God knows how many years after graduating, I'm, I'm definitely not bored still. Um, so I, uh, 
I chose it and um, I stayed in Boston for residency after that. So okay. that was from 03 to 07. Um, in 06, I actually got married um, and we moved after I graduated to Ann Arbor in Michigan. Um, I got a great job there, great starts in my academic career. And I you know, worked at the university for a couple of years. Um, my wife was from DC. So we actually moved after a couple of years there to DC in 2009. And promptly, uh, I actually got divorced in 2009. Um, so I found myself single. And actually five years later in DC, I got remarried and moved to Cincinnati at that time because my wife got a job here. Um, and that's the story of how I got to Cincinnati. So that was uh, six and a half years now. So I want you to share with everyone your whole transformation and the whole story behind who was the asshole in the ER. Sure. So kind of two big stories there. Um, the, um, the first part is really the, the big inflection point of my life. So I got married in 2014. Um, we moved here and I was working, I, I worked uh, in the community, in a community hospital for a year and then uh, started working at University of Cincinnati. And, you know, I was doing well as far as all external measures could say. Um, I was successful in my job. I had a nice house, you know, all the stuff. And then, but in 2017, um, in the early part, uh, my wife said she didn't want to be with me anymore. And that was a tough thing to imagine because I put up all their arguments as to why she should want to be with me. And uh, it fell on deaf ears. And later that year, uh, we ended up getting divorced. But um, year 2017, you know, between her telling me that and the divorce was kind of the biggest inflection point in my life where there was a lot I had to do as far as processing. Um, we can go into that now or, <laughs> um, or later, but so, you know, the, yeah, let's go into it now. So it, it was a lot of stuff that was really tough to hear. And that at that time in my life, it just didn't make sense to me. Um, I was told that I wasn't, or she wasn't attracted to me uh, anymore. Um, and that was physically, emotionally, um, even intellectually. Um, and, you know, it was just stuff that it, it just didn't, make sense to me. In retrospect, it certainly does. Um, but at that time, um, I wanted to do whatever I could do to salvage what we had. Um, because, you know, for three years, we, you know, we moved here, quote, for her. Um, and I wanted to do everything we could to maintain that. Um, my hope was we'd be here for a few years and go somewhere else after that. Um, and so I, I wanted to salvage it as much as I could. And I did everything I could to make myself attractive. Um, I started running because, and I hate running. I absolutely hate it. Um, but I started running because she liked to run. Um, I started to, I, I, I started to try to read to, to try to make myself better, but I read stuff like, um, the five love languages, um, to try to make myself better in relationships. And I was, I never read books before. Like you, you can see Sarah behind me now. There's a ton of books I never read. Um, and so I started reading and the five love languages. I, I still remember going up to her and, and realizing I had just hit a gold mine with this single book that told me everything I needed to know about life. And I was like, I got the answer. Like, let's do this. We, I, I can, I can solve this. You take this test and I'll, and we'll fix everything. And she's like, yeah, sure. I'll read your book. 
And I'm like, no, you have to be excited. I, I got the answer. I'm going to be better. Anyway, um, you, you know where this is going. Uh, yeah. And after, you know, after a couple months, it was clear that uh, I was making no ground and in fact, pushing her away even more um, to the point that I was getting angry a lot. Um, I was yelling a lot. There's no, there was no physical anything, but I was, I was angry. You know, my life was not going the way that I imagined or hoped it could. And, you know, there was the, the, one of the main points of my life that I still remember the night was, you know, we were living in separate bedrooms now and I was standing outside her bedroom and, you know, we were arguing about something. I mean, it, it was something about her, you know, not wanting this anymore. And uh, she told me, she said, you know, you're just an angry person. And I, I still remember I had my hands on my hips and I yelled at her and said, I'm not an angry person. And it went on for a little bit. And I, you know, went back to my room eventually. And a few hours later, I had just started journaling at this time and I was writing down you know, I was recapping and I was like, holy shit, I'm an angry person. Um, because I, I was thinking about that. I was thinking about the yelling. I was thinking about me grinding my teeth and hands on the hips. And it was that night where I, I was like, things aren't what they seem like in my life. And um, I started reading. And so I bought a book um, on my Kindle, which I really never used before. And it was, it was something like the anger management handbook. And I was like, this is definitely not for me, but whatever, like I need something to help me. Yeah. Um, and I read this book and, you know, the beginnings, you know, it says you, you may be questioning why you picked up this book. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> and it's like, you, you're not a murderer and you're not in prison. I'm like, that's true. And, uh, <laughs> and but here's the truth. You're probably angry. And I was like, okay, I'm listening. And said, and it's because you're insecure. And I was like, hold up, what? Um, because again, I'm I'm thinking I'm successful. I I'm a physician. I'm a you know I'm in academics. I have a great car and a, and a nice house. So like, what do I have to be insecure about? And it was there that I really started to to reflect on myself, and learn, um, and from there started working on myself to the point of um, really reading about me uh, and learning a lot about me. Um, and feeling more solid on my own two feet. You know, I, I still remember telling her once, it, it was years before this, I, you know, I, I'd watched a little too much Jerry Maguire in my life. And I was like, you complete me, right? And I use that, that silly line, but it yeah. makes sense from the movie because it's so romantic, you complete me. And she's like, don't ever say that. And I'm like, but, but it's so romantic. And she's like, no, don't, just don't say that. And I'm sure she told me why but it didn't register with me because I figured she was, you know, she was the one who didn't know anything about love. Um, but, you know, it turns out I, I totally get it now. Um, you know, to, to build myself from that point was that, you know, that being the moment that things started to turn around for me. And, you know, I developed my love for reading and learning and, and going from there. But eventually we got divorced in August of that year of 2017 and, you know, divorce proceedings went amazingly well um, from both of our ends to the point that, you know, we told each other, we loved each other after the, after the proceedings and we went our separate ways and we, we remain good friends now. And I can't imagine, really? the guy, yeah, I can't imagine the guy in March being that way. 
Um, but you know, I had to learn forgiveness and. Okay. That's exactly what I was going to ask you. So I've been listening to, um, Catherine Schwarzenegger Pratt's, um, podcast on forgiveness. Mm -hmm. It's so good. And she has all these different stories about forgiveness. Um, and so I was curious one, how did you forgive yourself? And how did you forgive her? Like, what are some tips and, and guidance and wisdom that you can give people? So it, it, you saw me beam my smile because you said, um, how'd you forgive yourself? Because really it wasn't until that point that I could really forgive her. So I, I have all these bits and pieces of that year that were still, that are still kind of fresh in my head. Um, you know, I, I still remember the day where, you know, we had a little blow up and I was starting to learn how to control my emotions better. And she came to me one morning and apologized to me for her actions the night before. And I was like, I forgive you. I forgive you for everything. But at that time, I still hadn't. I, I didn't really know what that meant because I had read the books and they said forgive. And so I was like, oh yeah, I got this, you know, forgive. But there was still that deep seated, how could you do this to me? um inside and you know it's it's a tough thing it, it's the ultimate end of all the kind of practicing i've been doing ever since that year um to to really understand people and so um it's interesting to ask i'm actually i'm working on a talk right now a wellness talk for next week for uh grand rounds for emergency medicine um and in it it's a seven-step process that i try to use when things aren't going my way in life um, when, when reality doesn't meet my expectations. And I was hoping to share it with the residents yes. because, you know, there's a lot of self-actualizations, you know, self-help and all this other stuff that's really at the pinnacle of life. And when you're going through residency, like life sucks, like it, you, you have no time to even eat and sleep and, you know, you can't process emotionally. And I'm hoping to give them some tips, but really the, it, it I've made a acronym. It's called bay leaf, like the, the spice. Um, so it's, yeah. it's a process. Once you realize that your trigger has been hit, that you're feeling off kilter when your body is like having that reaction, like I talk about in the Ted talk, um, you know, you grind your teeth or you clench your neck. Um, it's breathe or your stomach hurts that, yeah, just nausea, anything, something's off. Um, it's, uh, it's breathe, accept, uh, ask why, listen, empathize, appreciate, and then forgive. And forgiveness is the last part. And, and for each step, and I'm not going to go into this little wellness talk, I only have an hour, but for each step, it actually is do it for yourself too. And so listen to what you're feeling, empathize with yourself, you know, appreciate what you're going through and then forgive yourself. But also it has to do with the situation outside of you. So it's an internal and external processing. So I am, I am such like an action oriented person, right? Tell me how I would like ask why. So the, am I asking why I'm feeling this? But yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that that's it. So um, I I'm gonna be telling this story about a situation that happened to me recently, where this doctor basically called me, and I knew he was calling. He called my boss uh, to call out my care in the emergency department. He was you know threatening litigation on on uh, behalf of his patient. Uh, for the care that was given to this patient. Um, and when I heard that from my boss, I'm like, uh, you know, I had that feeling 
you know, the, my stomach started to hurt. Uh, yeah. And it was going through that. So in, in that process, I actually used it because I don't, you know, I've gone from the severe ups and downs in my emotions to, you know, I, I still go up and down, but not that much. But that was one of those moments where it really peaked. Um, and I, you know, I was like, well, it's time to do it. And so I activated the, the bay leaf and, and it went well. I mean, I was, uh, I went through it in towards myself, but also towards the other person. Now I didn't have a lot of answers from the other person. So I had to look within and either think about the answers they would give, but also look at myself. So yeah, ask why is, why am I feeling this way? Why do I feel so bad that someone is um, speaking badly about my care? Did I do something wrong? Or did I do the best of my ability? And that's what I processed. And I remember the case and I thought, you know, I had a really good conversation with the patient and their daughter um, and everything went well. And, and I left it at a good point. So I did the best that I could do. Let's move on to the next step. And it was listen. And, you know, it was listening to that insecurity saying, you know, the, the little imposter inside of me that says, maybe, maybe yes. you're not good enough and saying, you know what? I think, I think it's time for you to leave. Um, and then going on to the next one, which is appreciate and appreciate for me is, um, you know, just appreciating what this is trying to teach me. Uh, maybe this is a gift is one of those lines that I've read in a book somewhere. And I try to turn things into that. So what can I learn from this? Well, I, I just learned that I can use my own tactic in, in this situation. Um, and then, you know, I forgave myself for, for feeling all those, you know, negative emotions and, um, I moved on with it because I'm human and I figured the other person was human too. And he was just doing the best that he could. And I called him and it was a, it was a great phone call. Uh, at the end of the day, the dude just, you know, he, he had a little misunderstanding and, uh, I heard him out and I heard what his main complaint was and then everything just washed away. So I love, um, the Bayleaf acronym. I don't know if you've read anything on Byron Katie, but she has uh, yeah. a process of inquiry. Right. It's it's super similar. Um, and I've been using that a lot recently and it's really, really helpful. It For me, it helps me get out of um, like an obsessive thought about something that I'll keep ruminate, ruminate, ruminate. Mm -hmm. I would think the Bay Leaf does the same thing. Yeah, it, it kind of gives me direction. Um, you know, it's a process to go through things and, and the first step, you know, breathing is always there and, and, and you read right. anything, I'll tell you that, but acceptance is also the basis of literally everything, you know, well, I, it's happening, whether I like it or not, this is happening inside of me and it's happening outside of me next, next step. Um, and I think if we're just focused or we're not focused on, on a process, if we're just floating out there and things are happening to us, it's so easy to get obsessive, like you mentioned, um, to just keep ruminating on the same thing. But, you know, the, the breathing kind of gets you on this, on this treadmill, uh, and it go, or maybe not a treadmill cause you're actually going forward, but it gets you on a path as opposed to a treadmill, I would say, and, you know, you get to the end and, and you're able to process. Can I, um commend you on two things. One, I'll say this from just my experience with the men in my life, but your ability to talk about feelings and connect with that is really high. And I think that's remarkable. And I know it's from all the work that you've done. And I know that that's one of the gifts that you received from that struggle with that marriage. Mm -hmm. 
Can you also share, because I know you have a few others, some other gifts that came from that struggle? Yeah, um, you know, uh, I, I think you actually kind of hit on one on the first one, because I, I had been called sensitive in a couple of prior relationships, including that marriage. It, you know, it was you're overly sensitive, and it was true. Um, but at the same time, it was kind of a marker as to, the, you know what, I do have sensations. They were just misplaced at the time, or at least placed in an unhealthy way. Um, and learning how to use that. I mean, yeah, I'm an, I'm an empath and I, I use that stuff now to become the, the person I want to be. I, I use that as a strength as opposed to a weakness. I use that sensitivity towards other, other humans to help them, you know, be better versions of themselves and, or at least, you know, see what they're going through so I can provide an environment for them to thrive in, which is kind of how I've built my leadership um, at both the hospital and the company is to, you know, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna make sure the environment's good because you people are amazing and, and you just, you'll, you'll thrive in the right environment. And it's my job to create that. Um, so yeah, the, the feeling thing is important. Now, the, the other thing that's come, one of the main things that has come from that whole experience in 2017 was realizing that I can do whatever I'm interested in. Um, I, you know, I, I've been a physician my whole life, but that's kind of how I define myself. Um, I was a doctor and that was it. And I never really looked at like, you know, Dr. Rachenko has a lot of interests. Um, I listen to his podcast, um, when it comes to pulmonology and he, he's doing a lot of other things within it. I never really got into a specific thing within emergency medicine. Um, I just kind of was an ER doctor and that was good enough because it, it made good money and it was cool, but um, I had no further thing that I was getting into. So I, I didn't really have a lot of focus um, into anything else. So I'd come home from work and I'd watch sports or, you know, sports center and I was obsessive about sports, which, you know, it was fun. Um, but I can tell you now, like I barely watch sports anymore. It's really weird because for 37 years of my life, I, 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 eat, drank, and breathe sports. And now it's just like, yeah, you know, they, they happen, but I also used to be up and down with those. So, you know, that, the, that kind of emotional chill that I've been able to develop kind of goes into everything. But um, I did, you know, start to say, what do I love? So I actually, I was reading this, like, I think it was uh, Jen Sincero's You're a Badass. I think that was like the first self-help book I ever read. And, or maybe it was after- I love that it was a woman's one, <laughs> by the way. Yeah, well, it may have been after Stephen Covey's Seven Habits. So I, I think I read okay, Seven Habits. Okay, and that's Covey. fine. But then I went to Jensen Sarah, you know, you need a little balance. So um, in it, she said, I think it's in her book. She says, you know, put down this book right now and um, like list the things you love. And I had, and so I, I got my journal out and I, I read, what do I love? And I just sat there and I was looking at it for like 45 minutes and I couldn't write anything down because everything I wanted to write down were experiences that I shared with my soon to be ex. Everything that I was into was what she was into as well. And it took me a while to just kind of like go back to saying, who am I? You know, what, what do oh, I- oh, That is so good for everybody to hear. Yeah, it, and it took- Married or not married. It took me a long time. Um, and it was, you know, things that, 
I may, you know, I may have been even hiding for a while. You know, sports definitely top the list. I, yeah, I love sports. I, I love the city of Chicago. Um, I love theater. Um, I, you know, I love music and I put all these things down and then she said, okay, now, you know, in the book, it says, go do something that you wouldn't normally do with all those things. Um, and so I, you know, for the first time in my life, I'm kind of thinking, but, but, but how, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go to Chicago and I'm going to go to a Cubs game and I'm going to go to the aquarium and I'm going to go to, um, all these things by myself, which is terrifying because, you know, I'm a, I'm a shy guy at baseline. I was always shy growing up. Um, I, I wasn't an introvert, which is really interesting because I flipped a little bit to the E, um, the E side of things, but you're, you're an ambivert. Yeah. Ambivert. I like that. Yeah. It, you know, and I, I was very uncomfortable with the idea. I was also uncomfortable with the idea that we were still living together. And I was like, I got to be home to take care of her and give her what she needs. Cause you know, there's still a chance that things will work out. But at the end of the day, I planned that trip and I got out there and I started to explore things on my own, which was crazy. Cause like going to restaurants by myself, like fancy restaurants, I was just sitting by myself and it's really intimidating, scary. And, and it still is to this day. Yeah. I mean, you know, and you think about it objectively, if, if you're just listening to this conversation, you may be like, what, you know, you can go to a restaurant, like what, but when you actually get in that situation and I know other people are totally like, yeah, totally. I, I would never go to a restaurant alone. Um, but it, yeah, it's kind of, it's one, it's weird. It's scary at the same time. But at the end of the day, like the coolest experiences in my life have, have occurred when I've gone to places alone, the people I've met, you know, I, I still remember sitting at this Cubs game in Chicago and, um, I planned to go to improv theater that night at second city. Um, you love it. Oh my God. <laughs> so I was going to go. I've never been. It's, it's on my bucket list. <sighs> Um, they actually, those, some of the actors came here a couple years ago and did an improv class and I took it, but back to that no, you didn't. Yeah, I did. <laughs> alone. Um, so I, I was going to go there, but the people sitting next to me at the Cubs game were telling me all the stuff. And they said, yeah, we, it took us a while to get to the stadium today. Cause Dave Matthews traffic was backing up on the, uh, the parkway. And I'm like, wait, what? I had no idea Dave Matthews was in town. So I got tickets to go to or ticket. I got ticket to go to the lawn at Dave Matthews all by myself, you know, one of my favorite artists in the world. And I watched him on the lawn by myself dancing like a fool, which is like so out of my, like everything comfort zone, but it was incredible. And, you know, I ended up meeting people on the lawn and, you know, just dancing like a fool with them. And it was totally cool. Um, but the, you know, that was one of the huge things that came out of this. I was alone, but then from going to, you know, fearful about that to actually embracing it, embracing it despite it being scary and saying, you know what, I'm going to try this thing. Um, and sometimes I would go to a restaurant and I wouldn't talk to anybody. And sometimes I feel bad about it because I'd be like, I, I went to this to try to talk to people, but you know, sometimes people aren't going to talk. It's all about timing. Um, but you yeah. know, I, I usually sit at the bar and talk to the bartender and the bartender had nothing to say. And I had nothing to say to the bartender. Uh, you know, we just let it go. But I, I also learned to to talk to people. I mean, like, I'll, I'll keep mentioning books, but like Dale Carnegie's um, How to Win Friends and Influence People was huge for me because, you know, I yeah, think yeah. I, like a lot of people, I I don't know how to, I didn't know how to conversate that well with people. You know, one of his favorite, my favorite lines from the book is to be interesting, be interested. Um, yeah. Yeah. You're interested in another person. That's all. And so, you know, 
reflecting back to medicine, I, at this point of, of my shyness, at that point, I, um, I thought about medicine and I thought, you know, you meet 4,000 strangers a year in my job. I meet 4,000 strangers a year and I have great conversations with them. I mean, I take pride in my bedside manner. I take pride in the relationships that I quickly develop with people where they trust me very, almost instantaneously when they meet me. Um, it's yeah, it's yeah. fortunately something I haven't had to work much on. It just kind of came naturally to me. But outside of the ER, and I'm, I was shy, but in the ER, I was loud, I was talkative, and it took me a second. Well, and I bet a lot of people, I bet a lot of people have that same experience. Mm -hmm. So what was it that, that you did to shift it? I literally just thought, what, what's the difference? You know, I, I used to say I'm a different person in the ER and outside, but I mean, at the end of the day, that's, that's like silly talk, right? I'm, I'm the same human. Um, going through both experiences. So what makes me excel in the ER where I turn into a little pill bug outside of the ER? Um, well, it's the fact that I'm talking to people about them, right? I'm, I'm asking them questions right. about them and they're answering and I ask them more questions and I'm trying to understand them and I'm trying to figure it out and I'm paying them attention. And that's what I realized for me gave me energy. I also think it's when people go through tough times, I always I read this or see it or hear it. Um, helping somebody else makes me always feel good, makes you always feel good. Yeah. There's something around that if you listen. It, and so what you're talking about is really listening and connecting with others fills you up. Yeah. Okay. I wanted to ask you earlier about how did like, spirituality or anything, um, even if it's like more spirituality than religion, how did that play a role in, in, in your journey? Oh, entirely. Um, it, it's played a role basically in my entire life now and how I, how I live it. Um, you know, if we want to get current when it comes to COVID and everything that's happened and, you know, even the political tensions of the last 12 11 months or so, um, all of that stuff, I've, I've responded in a much different way than I would have before this. Um, and again, I'm, I'm grateful for having gone through it. I, I think about a lot of things as far as, well, if I didn't go through that, how would I be right now? You know, I, I never worked out before. Um, I wasn't fit. And what if I was overweight right now and I got COVID? I don't think I got COVID. In fact, now I'm vaccinated, but what if I was overweight and I got COVID? I mean, I was exposed to it. I've been exposed to it every day since March 16th. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't have done as well mentally. You know, I, I'm able to process things so much better. I, you know, in the very beginning of COVID, I kind of had a go, go, go attitude. I had to run an emergency department and provide and, and uh, establish safety for not just myself, but all of my colleagues. Um, and I took the weight on myself and we just went, went, went until I just kind of almost, it wasn't a breakdown, but it was kind of just fatigue. And I noticed that fatigue and I knew I had to journal and figure out what, what was going on. And it was that, that threat of mortality, um, 
that threat and mortality that was right in front of me saying, you know what, this, this is going to get you because back in March and we're still seeing it now, but back in March, it was like, wow, this is a killer virus. You get it, you die. Like that was, that was what people were thinking. And, you know, we can kind of smile about it now, but it's still, it's still a fairly deadly virus. So how did you get through that? Was that the journaling piece? Was it a meditation piece? Was it a prayer piece? Like that was for me, it's the journaling piece and prayer. I've got to do a little bit of both. Yeah, it was mainly the journaling. I mean, I meditate every morning, um, which helps just you kind do. of set the table for me. Yeah, I mean, it's only 10 minutes. Did your parents, did your parents meditate? No, in fact, yeah. so there's something called puja in Hinduism, which basically you you um, sit by a fire and you have all the idols in front of you and you sing um, and you pray. And during those, I, I just didn't tune in that much in, to puja ceremonies, but I would look at the fire and I would just kind of get lost in it. And as I, I learned about meditation a little bit more, I would try to do it a little bit. And, and so actually my meditations kind of started then and then I, I let go of it, but I, I formalized it since. Um, so meditation's a, a big part of my morning, at least it's 10 minutes um, every day. Um, yeah. I wake up earlier so I do it. Can I tell you what um, I started doing? Yeah. Um, on the Breathe app, you can get a bedtime story uh-huh. read so I did like, I've done a fairy tale twice and it's kind of in a whisper. And it reminds me of when my mom used to read, you know, stories like around nap time. And it is so wonderful. Does it put you out? Like, it's like a hug, pretty yeah. much. I've listened to the same story two or three times because I keep asleep. This is the, oh. But whatever. <laughs> well, that's the effective one. If you ever like are feeling insomniac, that's the one you got to put on. I know, I know. Okay, Sanjay, in closing, what, share with my listeners just like one last thing that you think is important for people to know um, about your story and and the tough lessons and then what you've learned from them. Sure, so I, you know, I I think there's a, I'll share three parts because I think there's a, a three important components to kind of failing in general as I was thinking about this was, you know, as you're failing, it's, it feels like you're falling and you need something to stop that fall. You need to look around and then you need to build back up. Well, those are all options anyway. You don't have to do any of them. But for myself, that's how I figured it. And um, to stop that fall, what I rely on is mental and physical toughness. So be able to take the hits, um, have that emotional stability, but it's why I work out. It's why I have a coach. That's why I do everything I do to, to be ready for the, the kind of slaps in the face that life will inevitably give you. Um, so that's how I stop the fall. I think, you know, the look around piece for me is look at your heroes. Um, look at the people that you either admire from before or currently and know that they've been through failures. And if you don't know they've been through failures, ask their story or read their story. You know, Teddy Roosevelt for me, like the dude was just a total wimp growing up. And then his mom dies and his wife dies within 12 hours of each other. And he's a total wimp. And then he goes out to the Badlands and comes back a complete badass. And, um, you know, it, it, he turned around. Lincoln, you know, another one of my heroes, and he had his failures and he had depression and all that stuff. And even my coach, uh, Luke, he, you know, he knows I thrive on it. Um, he's like, hey, check out this lift I failed. Because um, he knows that the moment I saw my coach fail a lift was the moment I got a green light in my life um, to say, you know what, you can, you can fail that. That's okay. Everyone does. Superman can sometimes crash. Um, 
but that's that look around piece. So, you, you know, you stop yourself from falling, you look around, and then the last part is kind of following your North Star. Um, and it's not like what you want to be, which is what I suffered with from so long or, or had as my MO, which is I'm a doctor, um, I'm a husband. Uh, I, I more focus on my why, which is very vague, I know, but my, my how and my who are, are much more important. So the person I want to be um, by, by character and the, the who is really what I love to do um, and what gives me that spark. Um, so the, the who and the how lead to the why, but, but those are the most important parts. And that's what I rely on as opposed to titles or anything like that. You're amazing. This was so awesome. Thank you. Thank you for spending your time with us. I appreciate the time, Sarah. I can't wait. I cannot wait for people to hear it. And listeners, we will put a link in our notes so that you can go to his TED Talk too. And a link to also to revive strength and wellness. Thank you. As well. Perfect. Thank you. <laughs> Pleasure talking to you, Sarah. I want to thank our sponsor, Healthcarousel, and everyone behind the scenes, especially Adrian Donica and the team at Gwyn Sound. Also, please find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Fail Forward Pod.